Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. I'm sharing here about the very reason for which you were created and exist. You will never find ultimate meaning and fulfillment and pleasure that is ever enlarging and everlasting, except in the very source of creation, which is in an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. I am speaking about the one true eternal God, which in the Bible, in the Old Testament scriptures. In the Hebrew is the word Yahweh, an English Lord, and the next word after that is often God, Lord God. God meaning Elohim, the Almighty, is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, for God to be trusted and worthy of unlimited life and power and authority, of course he must be an ultimate perfection of love. That's foremost. And so I briefly describe that. That God's love has integrity. Genuine love has integrity. It does not condone what is contrary to love, because what is contrary to love has corruption in it and is the destroyer of all good. Genuine love is a quality that always freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure that, as it were, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It transcends the filial love in the Greek, which is the love of feeling, and the eros love, which is sexual love. It is the highest form of love. God is love. In fact, it says he's a consuming fire of love. Only such love that is the destroyer of all that is contrary to love that is corrupt, could be entrusted with unlimited power and life and authority without using it in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it, thus indicative that he is the very source. And that is who I am sharing about today, the one that is called Yahweh, which is the basic meaning of the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, because God is also referred to in relation to that name as being the I am that I am. And reality in any dictionary you look up basically means what is indestructible, immovable, and unchangeable. And the word truth is defined as that which is reality or that which is real, which I just defined as such. And only this quality could possibly be that. It is represented in nature as the negative symbol, which is a symbol of a foundation that's indestructible and that cuts off all corruption. And from that foundation is formed 
the symbol of the cross, which cuts out that or crosses over that, forming a very positive symbol. Yes, God's love is so great that without violating the integrity of his love in this vast universe, he could not only communicate with his creation, but incarnate into this world the very creator of this universe and be tempted in all points as we are without sin. All the way in a total union of love with God the Father to the death on the cross, which he voluntarily took upon himself. Yes, God became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. He suffered more than you, a mere creature. You think about that. On the cross, he took judgment upon himself from God the Father. The Son, offer, the Father offering up his own son, even as Abraham was about to offer up Isaac, and at, la at the last moment, the angel stopped him, and there was provided a ram as a sin offering. But the ultimate sin offering could only be God because only God could represent our soul and spirit and not merely our flesh. And only by living a perfect life could he possibly be a substitute that could absorb our sin and yet not be overcome by that corruption because of the perfection of his being in union of loving obedience with God the Father. And yes, I mentioned that the other name for God is Elohim, meaning the Almighty, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because for God to be Almighty, the other aspect is that he must be in personage in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, which is as God the Father, in creation, which is the full expression of the Father, into the creation realm, the one and only full expression of the Father, which is the Son. The word Son means expression. The word Son means word. Yes, God is expressed into the creation in his Son, who's known and also called the Word. The Word was with God, as it says in 1 John chapter 1. And the Word was God and is God. And yes, the other as ultimate aspect of creation is omnipresence, and as God, the Holy Spirit, he is in all places at the same time, attached to every single particle of existence that he has created. An interesting side note, 99.99999, and it goes on, percent of the universe is empty space. And yet, in that little percentage that there is existence, there is multi-dimensions, this physical third dimension, and dimensions far superior to it, which is the fourth dimension all the way up to the tenth that they discovered in particle physics, and they're far superior. And of course, I've written a book titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can get on the internet. 368-page book, large paperback, three by, or, pardon me, Six by nine, large paperback, which you can get on your phone. Afterlife, incredible, irrefutable. 
and the other dimensions of existence, your spiritual body is, is far superior to this physical body. It is an ultra-real permanent realm. And I don't have time to talk about the wonders of all of that. What is highly verified is one of the most empirical evidences of God and of heaven and of hell. The fact that people time and time again highly known to be verified by medical equipment and doctors. While they're dead, describe in detail and remember in detail everything the doctors were talking about, what they were doing and what the people in the other room were doing, which is no way they could know. This repeats itself over and over. Yeah, this is for the new people I'm sharing all this. And you can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you can learn a lot more about this in the flip book that I have there, which you can read for free, which has answers to the hardest questions and is filled with print that's highlighted in red, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos from every field of science and archaeology, highly confirming the objective reality of the subjective experience that is so fulfilling that I am sharing with you about here, that you can be reconciled to God, that you can repent and have the presence of the Spirit of God dwell in your innermost being and fill up that void that only can be filled by the Spirit of God, because you have a God vacuum in you, and that vacuum was created to be filled by the Spirit of God. And he humbled himself that much for you, and suffered that much for you. And all you have to do is cry out from the depths of your being and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cleanse me of all my sins. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and be the central treasure of my life, the reason for which I live. And I will live for you and learn to overcome all the deceptions of self and of seeking self and of grasping onto self, temporal fulfillments. And it's an ongoing process for all of us to come into that greater and greater, more fulfilling union, often through painfully dying, to the things of this present realm that we tend so easily to grasp onto. But it's good news. Because the world suffers, and they just end up, when they suffer, having because the treasure of their heart is in God, it's the temporal things, they crumble with it and end up in total, in eternity, but are suffering with no end because they cut themselves off from the ultimate source of life, which is this love. And what did Christ say? He said, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He's calling you that are thirsty to come and drink freely of the water of life. There is a reason. There is a hope. There's a meaning for your destiny. It means that you must surrender your life to God. But wow, God is the very reason for which you were created. Your ultimate pleasure is not in anything but in serving and in loving God and in worshiping God. Now I want to share with those that have come to know the one true God through Jesus Christ for whom to know is life eternal. The good news. And I want to just mention something to blow your mind away. You know that life... Light, the speed of light, goes around the earth seven times in one second. And yet to reach the 
closest star would take five years at that speed. You think man's ever going to get to the closest sun? I don't think so. Do you know many stars the telescopes have found? And they haven't found them all. You know many there is? There's enough for each person in this world, if I remember right, to have six trillion stars each. Seven billion people having six. No, not six trillion. Eighteen trillion or eighty trillion. I forgot which. They know that there's enough stars out there. For every earth, sand of grain, and on the earth there's a thousand stars. That's what they've calculated from what they can see with the most powerful telescopes, which now is the James Webb Telescope, which is a million miles away from the earth and 100 times more powerful than the Hubble. <clears throat> can you imagine the creator of the universe? And yet he can come down here and love us that much in this little speck of a planet with a star that is the sun, which is a very average star. There are stars way, way bigger. And there's so many. Oh, the awesomeness. What is in DNA? What they've discovered, look up a book called Traced on DNA. Now they can measure man back in time. And they know he only goes back around 6,000 years. And the evolutionists can't refute it because they're demonstrating it in provable facts through the Y chromosome. And they're scratching, and oh my, they will make all kinds of excuses to want to believe in their very unscientific pseudo-evolution garbage that you will find out is just a mastery of deceptions if you check out the evidence on my website at ultimatemeaning.com or other sources. Yeah, you can believe a liar. You can believe that there's ultimate meaning and purpose and destiny, which there's all the evidence for. The other side doesn't have any evidence. It's anything more than deception. Certainly not science. It's pseudoscience. That's all it is. It's all been exposed by especially recent discoveries in so many areas of science. <clears throat> okay, how do I give these messages? Well, for those that are new, I cast lots before God get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible I do with two independent and two independent random applications so that I get two chapters with great reverence I do this before God that those two chapters would confirm each other with the same theme and message that I would pick up from them I spend a half an hour meditating on them and then I preach now right now I'm just doing one message a week so I want to share with you what I've received throughout the week, what God is saying by his spirit to the body of Christ throughout United States and Canada especially, and of course around the world. In an hour of such grave crisis, where there's the manifestation of corruption and of evil in high positions of authority and government as never before, it is absolutely maddening, outrageous, and shocking. Because I'm on YouTube, I won't go into any details about that. Maybe I'll start going to Rumble and using that. It might be time soon. So I can speak more specifically about things. But my focus is not on those things. It is on what God is saying to the body of Christ. 
And so I will be sharing with you those two chapters throughout the week, each day that I receive this week, except Monday. <clears throat> and I also seek to pick a song out of 1,257 songs. But I like to get ones that I can get on YouTube. This one that I'm going to sing here today, I'm doing because I created it this week myself because I couldn't. It's a recording from a church I went to many years ago, but it's a short song, but a beautiful song. And then after that, I did pick another one that's on my website at loverealize.com and also at ultimatemeaning.com, where I have well over 144 really, most for the most part, high-quality worship songs or hymns or whatever you want to call them. I will be getting more worship songs on there, but I do want to play the song I received today, and so we'll be doing that. Um, and so I'm going to bring up now that worship song, and we will sing it, and I will minimize myself once I get it going here, okay? Here we go. cry that God is saying by his spirit today 
He is calling us as his people to wake up and to prepare for the soon return of Jesus Christ, and he is jealous to have his bride church come forth. He's calling the church to wake up out of its sleep. And that is a call to not limit God in our lives personally, nor corporately in local assemblies anymore. And so there are churches they are satisfied with an hour and a half church service, just being the church the way they always used to be. Same mode, even though we've had the most serious crisis in the world taking place, look, it's happening in Cuba right now. They say it's worse than the Cuban Missile Crisis. The government's, thus far, it looks like they're just completely ignoring the situation. Need I list all the other tragedies that are happening in the world? I think most people know about it now. I don't have to mention it here. As it says in the word of God, gross darkness will cover the earth. And then the word of God says there in Isaiah 60, um, it's, it's really a therefore, though it doesn't say that there. It says, arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It is time to wake out of our sleep and to rise and shine. And when we're asleep, it's because we're caught up with the busyness of our own life, with the loves of the world, with certain things that we just don't want to let go of that are not redeeming the time. When the word of God commands us to redeem the time because the days are evil. In fact, more than that, to go the second mile, that we might have that extra oil and be like the wise virgins that are ready for the soon return of Jesus Christ. So I say that God is calling for a new order across all local assemblies throughout Canada here, where I am, and throughout United States. And he's saying these words that were in this song, it is time to seek the Lord until he come and rains righteousness on you in your life individually, that you rise up to the purpose for which you were created and called and enter the fullness of your inheritance and never be satisfied with anything less than total victory. I did get another song. And this one I cast by lot only on the songs that are listed on my site that are now probably over 144 songs. So maybe we will sing that song right now, as I'm sensing, in the spirit. And so we'll go to that other song, which is on my site here, and I have to go to it by going to the right place here. This is the first page. There's 50 songs. I know which one it's on. It's on the second page, and I know which one it is may not be the greatest one that I would choose, but it is the one I received. It has a message in it. And these are all very high-quality songs for the most part, so I don't know if I've listened to this that much, but here we go.
What a wonderful, encouraging song to awaken us out of our sleep. And there is a price to pay. And so I do want to go into the Word of God and share what the Spirit by has been saying, this Holy Spirit of God, to the body of Christ in this week. And today is, of course, July the 14th of 2023. I believe it's the 14th, yes. So um, I'm going to now go to the scriptures I received. I didn't do... Um, Monday, because I know I did something to displease the Lord on Monday, and I had to repent. So he didn't allow me to get, get a lot that would work. So I, I'm ignoring Monday. But I want to share with you what I received this week by the casting of Lot before God. To give you, first of all, the overarching theme of what God is saying by his Spirit. And let me point out to you that I don't do this thing of casting of Lot's lightly. And if someone does it and they're not right with God, it's divination, okay? So don't do, do it unless you sense God leading you to do it. It's just the way God's using me. It, it was extensively used in the Old Testament church. I'm talking about the nation of Israel and the patriarchs and so on. It was also used by the early church to choose the apostle and probably a lot more than just the apostle to take the place of Judas. It was used by powerful movements of revival in church history, such as the Moravian Revival, which went on for over a hundred years, and they even chose their own wives by the casting of Lot. So it is something that God will use if it's done in great reverence and your life is walking in purity and in holiness before God. Now, I received on July the 11th, Revelations 11 and Habakkuk 1. And I did end up reading all of Habakkuk because I found the whole chapter was very relevant. But in both of these chapters, there's the emphasis is on the extreme importance of enduring injustice even to complete defeat in the natural because then God's power with justice will then be executed on the wicked and he will be glorified. We must learn to endure to the very end. And so what do we have in Revelations chapter 11? Well, I have it highlighted in green, the part that's more significant to the theme that God is speaking on. And here we read, that, and this is about Israel in the last days, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over these two prophets because they were tormenting those that dwelt on the earth reproving them for their abominations in the sight of God, which we see already happening all over the earth. And so they're making merry and sending gifts to one another because the Antichrist finally killed these two prophets. Of course, we read about that. They were powerfully used by God. Fire came out of their mouths and devoured the enemies, kind of like Elijah called fire down from heaven upon those soldiers, and they were in groups of 50, they came to take him, and the fire of God came down and devoured them until the soldiers pleaded for mercy. But in the end, God allowed the Antichrist to take their lives, and they're lying in the street for all the world to see with the television cameras on there saying, see, if your God was real, he wouldn't have let these people, prophets that are so supernatural, die. Oh, no, we know what they were. They were aliens from outer space or whatever reasoning they had. 
So here they are. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them, which saw them on television around the world. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And of course, we know what happens after this. And the same hour there was, if I can catch it here, a great earthquake. And the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. That's the second woe, but it's the great earthquake that ushers in the kingdom of God. This earthquake is so great that the towers of the nations collapse. And it is the issuing in of the kingdom of God where Christ comes on the Mount of Olives. He spreads out his hands like a swimmer, and as he does, the earth collapses around him. The air fills with the glory of God so that what is described in Isaiah 63 it says that when they breathe the air of the wicked, that they will be devoured like they're breathing fire, and they will become ashes under the feet of the righteous at that time. And it says that the sun and the moon will be confounded by the brightness of the glory of God when he returns to reign upon the earth. This is the soon return that will happen. And these people will be out of their physical body in a realm of everlasting torment. because they rejected the very source of life, which is the very source of love, of the ultimate perfection of love. And the two aspects I described first, the integrity of love and then the mercy of love and the fact that God loved us so much that he took judgment upon himself for us and conquered death and was seen by 500 at the same time. And of course, four lawyers set out to disprove the resurrection and write a book about it and in the process were converted because the evidence was so convincing. So, we go on to Habakkuk, which is the other chapter that goes with this. And it says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them, that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue? When the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he, and of course God allowed that judgment, because the nation of Israel had been brought to a place of corruption where he needed to purge them with judgment, to bring them to this place. And of course, when you're in a realm of judgment, you may experience great loss in the natural. And so it says in Habakkuk here, of course, he's condemning those that in Israel were corrupt. And this is interesting to read too. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, it is, not of, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, 
and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's when the Lord returns. But just before he returns, his plan is to bring them to total futility, where they have nowhere to turn but to God that they might repent and come to the knowledge of the truth just before his soon return. And we're living in that time that is just before the soon return of Christ, where there's such hopelessness in the world that the harvest has become very ripe by the trials around people's lives individually and as nations. So we are to be those that are found ready to bring in that harvest at this time. And we go on, and, and it says here at the end of Habakkuk, these that are suffering in a time of trial and have lost everything in the natural, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God, or Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is my strength, and he, is, he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon the high places in the midst of trials to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. We're living in a time when many people are losing their jobs because they've taken a stand in righteousness, where persecution is increasing in the free world. And God will make us in the midst of those trials to know the power of his resurrection that will shake the prison doors of trial, open with multitudes coming into the kingdom of God, like he did with the apostles that were put in shackles and praised God in the midst of their trials. We go on and we read, for Wednesday, what did I receive? I, I even forgot all of this, but let's see. <clears throat> Judges 2 and Ephesians 5. Both of these chapters strongly have the theme of cutting off all compromise that leads to falling away from God and <clears throat> failing to fulfill God's purpose and destiny through such compromise. <clears throat> and so we read of Israel in Judges 2. I made you. This is an angel that comes to Israel. After they conquered the land, they compromised with the nations around them. And it says in Judges 2.1, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you on to the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye have thrown down their, ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. It came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words 
unto the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept profusely, no doubt. They called the name of the place Bochum, which means the valley of weeping. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And then Joshua let the children of Israel go. And in Judges, what do we have? A description on the same chapter about compromise, but I'm going to skip a lot of these things. The other chapter I received was in Ephesians that parallels with this because it says this here. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Light has life. Light comes from that which is the opposite of corruption. I talked about the negative and the positive symbol. When, those, when there's a negative and positive, there is a flow of electricity that produces what? Energy and life. But it has to have the positive. The negative first and then the positive. <clears throat> and then there's that flow of life. And that is a picture of the genuine fear of God. That when our heart turns to God, an acknowledgement of the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, and we cry out and recognize how awesome he is and are filled with awe of his severity on sin and of his holiness, and so thankful out of that, of the greatness of his, of his mercy to us, there's a flow. There's a communion of life. It is the secret of abiding in God, the genuine fear of God. As it says in Isaiah 33 concerning the Messiah, the fear of the Lord is his treasure, even though the Christ did not sin. He was in awe of the Father and the purity of his love and reciprocative of it so that he was filled, of course, being equal with God with the same in a reciprocative communion of fellowship back and forth. And I could go into more detail about that, but I forbear for time. <clears throat> Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And we go on in this passage, and it emphasizes that we are also to reprove them. Are we doing that today with the outrageous things that are happening in the schools? We know what's going on. It's outrageous. It's extremely, I think it makes all of us very angry. You can imagine. Sometimes we have to resist unto blood, striving against sin, as the word of God says. On the one hand, the most important thing for the church to do first and foremostly is to seek God and to not limit God in their meetings. But then the other thing is that once the glory of God has filled our congregation and has broken the darkness over our community, we go forth in the power of the Spirit and we are bold and fearless to stand and reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. And of course, above all, to be positive and point people to the love of God. 
It's not wrong to be angry at these evil things that are being done to innocent little children. We're here to stand in the gap, brothers and sisters. We're here to reprove the unfruitful darkness, but first of all, the church must wake up and seek him. And to come into this new order means that you don't have pre-service prayer meetings, but that you make your church service a prayer meeting. You always start your main church service as a prayer meeting, and you get an awe before God, and you become more conscious of him in your midst than of anything that you're going to do at the front or of starting to sing. You, you, you pray. You seek him. You become filled with the awe of whose presence you're in, and, and you pray out of a pure heart. A prayer here, and people stand with that one. A prayer here, and people stand with that one. And then out of that, there comes singing and worship. Out of that, prophetic utterance or a word of encouragement or knowledge or exhortation or a testimony. And people freely share as the Spirit moves them to share. And they are facilitated in every way to come out of their passivity and to move in the gifts of the Spirit. That's the new order God's wanting in the body of Christ. And out of that comes great creativity as people learn to create songs that have meaning and words and depth. So many churches I go to today, they sing the same songs almost every week and repeat the same words over and over and there's no meaning or depth in the song. And I'm appalled. You go to my website and you look at the songs. They're all very filled with life and meaning and creativity. You know, people in the congregation should be creating their own songs, and having their own songbook, and of course, lots of other songs too that everyone knows throughout all the churches across the world. We also read in Ephesians here, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so it is that once we've truly seen the emptiness of our life apart from God, when we've truly seen the treasure in the field, it's not that hard in a certain sense to forsake our securities of this life, which is represented in the father and the mother. And to be joined to the Lord, even as a man feels the craving and the desire and the natural to be fulfilled in a woman, and eventually comes to that place where he's willing to let go of the security of his surroundings and, and take that bold step and be married. And that is a parallel of what happens in our lives if we are truly those that God is able to call because we have ears to hear, because we haven't quenched our thirst with the loves of the world. And that's what he's calling his people to. As congregations, forget about an hour and a half. Why don't you have a church service that starts at two and goes for four hours? where you can really break through with prayer, with the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, with the pastor sharing and others later, after it being confirmed by every member in the body, being free to move in the gifts of the Spirit. God is calling for this new order, and he's calling, of course, you can't have a new order like that if you don't repent of loving the world. 
as long as you're going to hold on to the loves of the world, don't expect it. I don't want to put people under any legalistic bondage. But you know, you can be against drinking alcohol in church, and yet you people are drunk with loving sports. Spending hours watching sports, and the pastor gets up and talks about the game in the midst of the place of awe and worship, where things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. And if there's ever a time there's an abomination in many of these places, it is now. And you dare to speak about those things and stumble believers so that they spend all their time in that instead of seeking God? Doesn't mean that your life is boring. It means that you find those things that are unique to you, unique to your creativity that is redeeming the time. To win multitudes to Christ and to build up the body of Christ. And so I'm not saying it's wrong to watch sports and relax. I'm saying, if that's what you do, be careful not to stumble others. God is calling the church to wake up and repent of the gods of amusement, of pleasure, of materialism, and of being at ease. Woe to those that are at ease in Zion. We become so insular, including myself, that sometimes I don't have the burden for the loss, the burden for people around me that I ought to have. May God give us a heart that is able to have genuine tears of sowing that we might reap in joy the harvest of souls. We go on. Thursday I received Daniel Three in Ecclesiastes 4, and I saw a lot in this. And so I want to mention it, what is in these two chapters. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for if he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, I'm still single, and so this was encouraging. But maybe God has a wife for me, son. I hope so. I'd like to have someone to pray with and to seek God with, and maybe to start a church with, or whatever God wants. would like that. But how does this relate to Daniel 3? Well, in Daniel 3, we have a threefold cord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the threefold cord. Therefore came the king's commandment, was urgent, and the furnace made exceeding hot. The flames of the fire slew those men that took up Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. This king was outraged. He built this image because Daniel interpreted 
his dream of an image and of it and it made it look like his kingdom was the greatest kingdom because it was of gold and the others were less inferior. So he thought he was really somebody. But here he gets so angry at Daniel that he throws him in the fire. So he certainly didn't have a deep conversion, did he? No, he came into a greater conversion later on. But these men prayed together. And when we have a relationship that's very deep with Christ, or we're not loving the world, then we have a far greater love for one another. And that love for one another brings a unity in the body of Christ that is not easily broken by the enemy. But if we're loving the world, then we don't have the love of the Father in us, as it says in 1 John. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. And he's saying by his Spirit in this hour that he wants to bring a mighty baptism of his love that brings a binding in the bond of peace by the Spirit of God and a binding of his love between us as never before. What does it say in Ephesians? That we with all saints may be able to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And when the body of Christ is filled with all the fullness of God, it will break the darkness over your city. And as it happens to every church, or almost every church across the United States and Canada, it will bring in deliverance and healing so that these institutions that have become corrupt and tyrannical and oppressive will be overthrown by the might and the power of God. And there will be a mighty harvest that comes. And that's what he's calling the church to wake up and become his conquering bride church in local assemblies that comes into this new order, that comes into this mighty baptism of love where the love of God is shed abroad our and our hearts beyond ourselves in a supernatural love, transcending our own ability to love one another. Where there's not adultery and divorce, but a love for purity in the body of Christ. And today is Friday, and I'll just touch on Friday. <clears throat> I received Exodus 32. And I also received 2 Corinthians 13. And there's a clear theme here. By the casting of Lot before God. And so we read in Exodus 32 that the children of Israel fell into idolatry. They wondered what had happened to Moses. Here it is, 40 days, and we don't know what's happening, and we're here in this hot desert, and, and we see the mountain of flame, but we don't know where he is. And, and uh, it's amazing that after Yahweh parting the Red Sea for them, Aaron allows himself to be pressured by these people 
so that he says, oh, I'll give me all your earrings and we'll make a golden calf. And yet they talk about Yahweh. Isn't it interesting? They're saying in here that they're making a calf and at the same time, they're having a feast on the Yahweh. And yet they're making a calf to take them back to the world, to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. How many believers can justify the idols of this world and set up the golden calf of identity more in a doctrine or in a leader than in their relationship with God so that they become denominative in their mindset, so that they become like a bunch of bricks that are all the same because they're more fearful of being rejected by one another than of God. God is calling us out of a denominative mindset. It's the genuine fear of God that produces great humility and honesty so that we are who we really are before God and before one another to the point that we are willing to speak the truth to one another when it hurts because we're not interested in pleasing our friends but of being who we really are. That doesn't mean that we're contentious and seeking to be divisive. Far from it. It means we're seeking to be genuine with one another and be who we really are. That our identity isn't in our group more than in our relationship with God. That we are learning to hear from God so that we are not brought into division. It does say in the word of God that he so tempered the body together that he gives more abundant honor unto the part that lacks so that there would be no schism in the body of Christ. And that can only happen as we allow each member to move in the gifts of the Spirit and facilitate it by drawing them into a life that is pure and that reproves the works of darkness and by encouraging them to manifest and serve in the gift, one another in the gifts of God's love in his Spirit. So we go on. And in Corinthians, what confirms what I read in Exodus where they rebelled against God and set up this calf. And they were greatly reproved there. Moses was so angry, he threw the Ten Commandments out of his hands. He made them drink of, ground the calf to powder, made them drink, had people say, who's on my side? Come over here. And they went through the camp and slew 3,000 men that were still rebellious and refused to submit to the God that is the true God and repent of their idolatry. That's why they became the Levites eventually, because they were not willing to spare the flesh in their own lives or others. They were willing to execute the truth even on those supposedly who are called their brothers. That's a hard thing to do. But God wants us to have genuine love. And that means that the saying in Proverbs, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That we have salt in one another with each other. 
because salt stings and we need to be willing to love our brothers and be our brother's keeper to even hurt and sometimes be that truthful for one another that it might hurt a bit. Not severely, not wrongly, not out of a wrong spirit, but out of genuine love and meekness. And so Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 13, this is the third time I come coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Remember, we're talking about a threefold cord. Here it comes up again. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which hitherto fore have sinned, like Israel sinned at Mount Sinai, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare you. And Moses did not spare the children of Israel. Not only that, in the next chapter, when he went back into the mount, God is still thinking he's going to totally wipe them out. And so Moses says, well, I'll be willing to have you kill me in their place. And that finally allowed the Lord to spare the children of Israel. But even when he decided to spare them, he commanded Moses to take the tabernacle and take it outside of the camp so that it was outside of the camp. And then for those that wanted to seek God, they had to come out of the camp to seek God. And God is calling the body of Christ in this hour to be bold enough to come out of Babylon. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven. You know what I'm reading from? I'm reading from Revelations 18. And it wouldn't hurt to quickly turn there as we close this message and emphasize what it says in those first few verses of Revelations 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues for her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. That is the hour we're living in. God is calling his people to come out of the world system and to form Christian community. And the book I have, The Calls for the Body of Christ to Come into a New Order, is titled, God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It's a little different cover on the internet. You can get it in book at six by nine, 250 some odd pages, or on Kindle.
God headship and body invasion. An outline of everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. He is calling for this. He wants to inhabit us fully in these last days. He does not want to be limited anymore by our comfort and ease in Zion. He wants us to know a far greater comfort, comfort and fulfillment in a relationship with him of holy, pure love for him. Awaken my people out of your sleep, says the Lord. So thank you for listening to this message. And may it not be that we are merely hearers of the word and not doers. It is time to get excited, to see the joy that is set before us, to catch the vision, for without a vision the people perish, to see the treasure in the field, and to begin to mobilize churches in your city to seek God and to come into this new order. This must happen across the world in this urgent hour. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. And he will heal you individually too. I appreciate your support and encouragement. I want to get together with people and start churches that will come into the fullness of being a conquering bride church in local assemblies around the world. They will have the genuine fear of God that will not tolerate a denominational shell forming because we will be in the secret place in our worship, in awe of whose presence we're in. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.